Go ahead and have a seat, guys. Welcome. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. I am I'm really excited about what God has for us this morning. Um, sort of the idea, the concept, the thought is that Jesus has entered in to our predicament. Jesus has, has broken in to our predicament. Um, many times we come to Scripture, particularly at Christmas time, and we zone, zoom in on a particular story. Um, and that happens a lot at Christmas time. We, we center around this idea that Jesus was born on Christmas. We hear about angels and shepherds and wise men and mangers and innkeepers and Mary and Joseph and, and all of those things. And all those things are valuable. They're all parts of the story. Um, but I think we do ourselves a disservice. And, and a lot, so many times when we just zero in on a particular story in Christmas time, all around this city, all around this nation, there are people turning to Luke chapter 2 to read the Christmas story and, and talking about angels watching their sheep and all of those things. But, but there is a, there's a bigger story at work in the Christmas story. There's, there's a big grand arc that God is telling throughout the, the, all of Scripture. And the Christmas story is just, just one small little glimpse of a story in this big grand story. And that's kind of what I want us to, to focus on this morning. See, zoom in on the Christmas story, but also back up from 40,000 feet and, and see the whole of the story that God is telling. And I think it's beautiful at Christmas time because this story in particular is about Jesus breaking, leaving heaven and breaking into our earth, breaking into our predicament. And, and we can see that as a big story, but also we can, we can see that individually. And this is what I, I hope we all walk out of here with this morning, is that God has not just broken into our world as, as, as Savior to, to break into our predicament and bring hope and joy and, and peace and love into our world, but he's also done those things. He's broken into your predicament this morning to bring peace and joy and hope and love. And so we'll kind of bounce back and forth between Focusing in on the story, but, but also trying to remind ourselves of the big grand story arc that God is telling throughout all of, of Scripture. The stories are meant to, to come together. Uh, I want to show a, click, a quick glimpse of, of a movie, just real quick to kind of paint this picture, and then we'll talk about it. Take it, Gandalf. Take it. No, no, no. You must take it. You cannot offer me this ring. I'm giving it to you. Don't. Tempt me, Frodo! I dare not take it. Not even to keep it safe. Understand, Frodo. I would use this ring from a desire to do good. But through me, it would wield a power too great and terrible to imagine. But it cannot stay in the Shire. No! Do. You must leave. And leave quickly. Where? Where do I go? Get out of the shower. Make for the village of Bree. Bree. 
What about you? I'll be waiting for you at the inn of the Prancing Pony. And the ring will be safe there. I don't know, Frodo. I don't have any answers. I must see the head of my order. He is both wise and powerful. Trust me, Frodo. You'll know what to do. You'll have to leave the name of Baggins behind you. But that name is not safe outside the shire. Travel only by day. And stay off the road. I can cut across country easily enough. My dear Frodo, hobbits really are amazing creatures. You can learn all that there is to know about their ways in a month, and yet after a hundred years, they can still surprise you. This is, this is a picture of Christ leaving his home to solve a predicament, to solve an issue, to solve a problem. And that's what we see here. And, but it, I also show this because there's so much more to this franchise of films. Probably most of you have, have seen them. But there are so many different characters, so many different people that interact with the predicament to, to, to solve this dilemma, this problem that, that's going on. There's so many different characters, so many different scenes, so many different adventures, so many different hardships and triumphs and everything that's going on. And that's, that's the picture. We can connect with this one scene and understand that this Frodo has to get rid of this, this ring. That's the dilemma. And he has to leave his home to go and do it. And we can connect with that. And that's the story of Christmas. Jesus leaving his home of heaven to come and solve a dilemma, a predicament that we find ourselves in. But there's so much more to that story of, of Christ and his life and his dilemma and the predicament that we find ourselves in and, and all of that difficulty. There's so much more to that story than just Jesus being born, than, than just mangers and Mary and Joseph. And there's so much more to this grand story arc. And so I, I want us to... to as we engage Christmas, as we see Jesus in a manger, as we hear about shepherds and wise men and mangers and kings that want to worship, as we hear all of those things, pull back and see the grand story that we find ourselves in a predicament that Christ has left his home to come and solve. And as we see that grand story, would we turn that idea onto our own hearts and understand that, that we, each and every one of us, walk into, this, into those doors this morning with a dilemma in our hearts, with, with sin in our lives, living lives in a broken place, in a predicament that Jesus wants to break into. No matter where you are, what's happening, whether you had a great week or a terrible week or you're looking forward to Christmas or you, you, you hate looking... To Christmas morning because of that crazy uncle or, or something like that. Just the predicament that we find ourselves in. I'm here to say to you that Jesus is knocking on the door this morning wanting to break into your predicament and bring his hope and his joy and his peace and his love into that. That's the grand story of scripture. That's the grand story of Christmas. And that's the story we're going to look at this morning. I want to read a couple of quotes that kind of help us to enlighten this idea of the grand story arc. Colin Smith, who's a pastor in the South, says this, Many people know stories from the Bible, but do not know the story of the Bible. It's like having a handful of pearls with no string to link them together. So what we, I hope, to do for us this morning is, is link these stories together, and Christmas is just one of those pearls. 
Sally Lloyd-Jones, who wrote a, a great children's Bible, says this, The Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. In other words, it's not a list of rules. So we mistakenly come to the Bible and, and look to it only to give us what we should and what we shouldn't do. Those things are there, but that's not the point of Scripture. The point of Scripture is this. It's about God and what he's done. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. There are lots of stories in the Bible, and Christmas is one of them. But all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. So as we dive in close to this Christmas story, would you please, I beg of, of God that we would have our eyes enlightened to the beautiful story that God is telling, that in this child, in this baby, is this grand story being told that Jesus, the love of God, he loves his children so much and he's coming to rescue them. It's a beautiful story. In the story of Scripture, there are five. Lord of the Rings has four now and is going to have six, I believe, stories, films that, that tell this big, grand story arc of, of that story. If Scripture were to have, I think they would have five films in the franchise. All right? And we're going to talk about each one of those. First is, is creation. What is creation? It is when Jesus, God, God comes and creates the heavens and the earth. You guys know that story. If, if it were a movie, we would see beautiful landscape. It'd, be, it'd, be, it'd win awards for cinematography to, to see the beauty of mountains and oceans and, and valleys and, and hillsides and, and, and the stars and moon and, and all of these things. This is what God created. This is the story that God is telling. And in creation, the story that he's telling is, I am creative and I, I have love and I have power and I have authority. I can speak words into existence and mountains happen. And this is the creation story. And it's just a part of, of the story. Just one simple piece of the story. The second thing is, is the fall. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve, the story in the garden. Eve eats the, the fruit and, and gives some to her husband, and he eats the fruit. And there is a fall that happens, and, and that's, this is the problem. Every good big story needs a problem, needs something that needs to be solved. And this is it, the fall. We are, are broken people living in a broken world, in a cursed world. And, and we'll look quickly this morning in Scripture at, at this idea of, of the fall. But see it as its own film in a large franchise, the creation, and then the fall, where Adam and Eve fall. And the result of that fall is a curse that happens. And we'll read some specific stuff in Genesis 3 in a second to talk about that. Then we see the promise. And a, a part of the promise is, happens in the Christmas story, but ultimately all the Old Testament, every story that shows up in the Old Testament is a promise that God is making through his prophets through people that, that do things like David and Moses and Noah and Abraham and all of the stories of their life. If, if this, the, the promise were a movie, you'd be focused on those people and the stuff that they did. Abraham getting a promise from God and, and being willing to leave his, his home to go to a new place. We talked about that a couple weeks ago and all those different things. And then 
it's also the, the prophets of like Jeremiah and Isaiah who, who didn't necessarily do a lot of things, but they spoke the words of God, the promises of God that I will one day come and bring my hope and my joy, my peace to this world. And they're, they're proclaiming that to the people of this world. So you got prophets who did stuff and prophets who said stuff all to make these promises that I'm one day coming back. Another film, we had creation and then the fall and then the promise. And then the rescue is the fourth in the series of, of films. And this is, the, this is what Christmas is really centered on, the rescue. Jesus leaving heaven, breaking into our world to, to solve our predicament, to come and to rescue us. This would be an action movie. This would be like this God coming as a, as a baby. And, and then there would be foreshadowing about back to the, the promise and to the, the rescue that's coming and the redemption and the restoration that's coming. But ultimately, it would be about this hero coming to bring his hope and his joy and to rescue his people, his treasure, his lost treasure, this big love story. And that's the, the story of Christmas. And then the fourth one is restoration, the, or the fifth one, the, the final movie in this franchise. Through all of Scripture, the grand story arc is this idea of, of restoration, that this part is not yet finished, but it is to come. And, and we see in our world and in our hearts this deep desire to have redemption and restoration. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I saw over and over again after the Connecticut thing happened was a lot of pastors I see, Jesus, please come back quickly. Put an end to all of this suffering and put an end to all this difficulty, but that's not yet happened. This final chapter in the saga, the story, has yet to be told. So what is our predicament? If, if Christmas is Jesus breaking into our predicament, let's zoom in now on, on the fourth installment here of this, this rescue and, and see what our predicament is. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you don't, the, the scripture will be on the screen behind me. Sorry, I kind of went through that quickly, and we just got a burst there. Uh, but let's, let's dig into to Genesis chapter 3, starting in, in verse 17. <clears throat> this is God speaking to Adam after sin has happened, after the fall has happened. Verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of, of you. It's an important note. We'll talk about that in a second. But important to, to note and to, to highlight this, this phrase here. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat. Of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is our predicament, the sin that is in our world, the fall that's happened in ourselves and in our earth. It is cursed. We are cursed, and the earth is cursed, and difficult, ugly, awful things happen because of. What's just happened here? And one of those difficult and ugly things that happen is 
highlighted in the first four verses, or first 12 verses of chapter 4. So skip over there. This is, uh, this really connects my mind to, to the events of, of Connecticut that, are ha- that, that happen here. Genesis 4, 1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. This is the curse that's happening. There is envy, there is strife, there is jealousy, there is anger in the heart of Cain because he was jealous of his brother, because he hadn't given to God what was his. And, and there is more to it than just that. There is Cain desiring to keep for himself that I am more important than giving back to God. I and my needs and my wants and my desires are the most important thing. They are the thing that rules my action. This is the curse that happens. And this is sort of the, the, the subtle evil that's in each and every one of us. There's an obvious evil, and we'll talk about that in a second, but there's a subtle evil that's in each and every one of us and that, that motivates us to evil action. <coughs> so Cain is, is angry and his face is fallen because he is held back from God and because he is jealous of his brother. Verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. This is, again, don't, this is the Christmas story. We need to know that this is the Christmas story. It's not just mangers and, and shepherds. This is the Christmas story. This is painting the picture of the predicament that we find ourselves in. We are cursed and sin is crouching at our door. Every single one of us, sin is crouching at our door. And look at the response of Cain, the cursed response of Cain. Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. It's a very obvious evil that was motivated by a very subtle evil that was inside of him. I want for me, and I'm jealous of you, that motivated his obvious evil. He killed his brother. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? We do that to God all the time. We know what's going on, and we try to think that somehow we can hide something from God, but ultimately the subtle evil that's in our lives and in our hearts is apparent not just to God, but to ourselves. Verse 10, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now cursed... And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 
There's a curse that's on our earth. Verse 12, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a foreigner, a fugitive, and a wanderer on the earth. And this is our plot. Fugitives and wanderer on the earth. Cursed in our lives and cursed as the ground because of us. Our predicament that Jesus has come to enter into is that we are broken and our world is broken. And that brokenness breaks itself down into two ways. One, there is sin that is present in us. We are jacked up people that do jacked up things to each other. And we just jack it up even worse. There's brokenness everywhere. And the sin that I rub off on you and the sin that you rub off on me and your and the dysfunction that happens in your world and in your life is a result of this sin, this curse that we feel. But then there's also brokenness. We just don't work right. A lot of times when, when, when I am talking about brokenness, we oftentimes, what, what is heard is that we're just really sad, really remorseful for our sin. And we, we think that that's what brokenness means. But brokenness in this context is, is a curse. If I were to take my phone out of my pocket and slam it to the ground as hard as I could, that phone would be broken. That's the kind of brokenness that we're talking about here. We just don't work right. In this creation, the, the first movie in the installment of our story is this idea that we were created, Adam and Eve, to be in perfect fellowship with each other and with God. But because of the curse, because of the curse that we have in our hearts and because of the curse that's on our earth, there is strife in our relationship with each other and there's strife in our relationship with God. And that is this brokenness. We don't work right. We can't have perfect communing, abiding relationship with each other. We can't have perfect communing, abiding relationship with God because there is a predicament in our world. Jesus came to break into that predicament to give us a chance, a hope, a light to, to, to sense a remnant, of, a residue of that hope and joy. But one day in the final installment, there will be no more curse. No more brokenness, no more sin, no more evil. And that's the day we hope for, we long for, we wait in expectation for. We're broken and we don't work right. And so is our world. Hurricanes, tsunamis, tornadoes, earthquakes are evidence of a cursed earth. Death ensues as the evidence of this cursed earth. But not just a cursed earth, cursed bodies, mental illness that happens and is attributed to to awful, ugly, evil things that happen on this earth. And those are obvious evils. Uh, The the curse of the earth creating a a tsunami or a tornado or an earthquake is, is, it's obvious to us that that's just not the way it's supposed to be. And we ache for that and we long for a day when those things don't happen anymore. And our hearts and minds ache for people who lose loved ones in tornadoes or earthquakes or just cursed ground activities. And then our bodies don't work right and and our our minds mourn. Friday at 9.30, there were moments of silence all over the world for the, the mind of that young man that didn't work right, that somehow decided that this was the best course of action to kill his mother and to kill children in a school. And he's just 
doesn't, and, and our hearts ache for that. We mourn for that, and we, we're broken for that. And we're, we're confused as to what's happening. Why did this happen? Was it guns? Was it evil? Was it whatever? Ultimately, all this does is, is highlight and underline the fact that we have a predicament in our world and in our lives. And it's obvious when we see that kind of evil to say, yes, evil, there. It's obvious to everyone to kill a child. That's evil. It's obvious. But in us, in our own hearts, there is so much more subtlety in our evil. In our story with Cain and Abel, it was obvious that Cain was evil when he killed his brother. Less obvious. I'm sure his parents, Adam and Eve, and 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 Abel himself didn't know the jealousy that found itself in the depth of his heart. That's a subtle evil that people just don't know. It's a subtle evil that, that a lot of times we don't even understand. We don't come to grips with the evil that resides within us. But whether or not Cain had, had killed his brother Abel or not, the jealousy that was in him separated him from the love that he was intended to engage with with his brother. While it's obvious killing is, is evil, nonetheless, the jealousy and the hardship that was between Cain and his brother Abel because of that jealousy is evil that's more subtle and is easier to hide. Here's a Something that, that happens to me all the time. I've, I've talked a lot about my kids in recent days. We have two main deals. They, they fight with each other all the time and yell and just, you know, usually it's just a yelling match. But then a lot of times it turns into hitting and then I hate you and all that stuff, right? Uh, if you've got kids or if you've ever been a, had a sibling, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but Jen and I have, have kind of taken to this idea. We know it's coming. We can see the signs when it's coming. Maybe one of them hasn't had much sleep, or one of them, something bad happened to them that day, and there's just difficulty, and, and so we can see it coming. And so what I'll do is, is I'll try and inter- engage myself into the situation and say, guys, you're about 30 seconds from screaming at each other, and then about 30 more seconds from hitting each other, and then about two seconds from getting spanked and sent to your room. Is this what you want? And it's like I'm not even speaking. It's like I'm not even there. Like I, they can't hear me. I'm a ghost in the room. And they continue. And they fight and they hit each other and they get spanked and sit to their rooms and Cooper calls Hannah a name and he gets his mouth washed out with soap and he gets sent to his room and, and he just gags and chokes and it's just this miserable life. Ten minutes later when he's calmed down, I walk into his room and I say these words to him. I was, I was warning you. I, I told you this was going to happen, but you didn't listen to me. Or worse, when they're not listening to me, when they're ignoring me and I'm in a bad spot, I get angry. I'm Dad, listen to me. And I get angry. And I, and I say to them, don't you love me? Aren't you, don't you know that I have your best interest in mind? I don't want to spank you. I don't want to put your soap in your mouth. I don't want to 
I don't want to send you to your room. I want you to be happy. I want to go play football with you in the front yard. I want to engage you. And then as I'm screaming those things, God is speaking into my heart. This is me speaking to you, Rick. Pay attention. Subtle, subtle evil that lives within us. If I don't say this to you, you guys have no idea. Only Jen, only my kids know what happens in in the physical world when I'm engaging there. And nobody knows the voice of the Holy Spirit in my head speaking those things. God whispering to me the things that you're saying to your son. I'm saying to you, don't you love me? Don't you trust me that I have your best interest in mind? I don't want to punish you. I want to play football with you in the front yard. I want to engage you. I want to have a relationship with you. Christmas, Jesus breaking into our predicament, our obvious evil and our subtle evil to bring to us relationship with him. This is what God has for us. This is the Christmas story. Turn to Psalm chapter 130. Psalm 130. This is, I never knew this was a Christmas psalm before this week, but it is. Imagine we've just read the Christmas story. Imagine we've just watched Charlie Brown's Christmas and saw Linus saying there were shepherds watching over their field, their flocks at night. And behold, the angels came and said, today to you is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. Imagine we've, we've said all that and we've, we've engaged all that and we understand and we know the story. The shepherds come and they, they watch and, and there's, there's donkeys and, and wise men beginning to make their, their three-year journey to get to them and, and all of these things that are happening and and this dark and dingy stable, and we've, we've talked about the innkeeper who said there's no room, and, and we've, we've, I've, I've told you about the manger, and it's really just a, a food trough for animals, and, and this baby king is, is lying in this manger, and this virgin mother is holding her baby, and all these things, and this is the story. But put that with the backdrop of the, the obvious and subtle evil and the curse that we find ourselves in. Imagine all of those things together coming in this psalm. The curse in our hearts, the curse in our planet, the curse in our lives. The small voice of God speaking to us as I yell at my children, as I'm engaging my own anger. The Herod, who wants to kill Jesus because he knows he's going to be a king and take away his kingdom, and all of those things that we know about Christmas. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. In other words, I'm fully aware of my predicament. I'm fully aware of the the subtle evil that, that lives within my heart. Out of those depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Send someone, God, to break into my predicament and save me. 
If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? I know the evil that's in me. I know the curse that's in me. I know what's going to happen to me when sin crouches in. I will stand and I will respond to that sin. I know the iniquities that are in me. And and because of that, I can't stand. But, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We learned studying Ecclesiastes that fear is not scared. Fear is a respect, a reverence, a fully understanding our position that I am me and you are God and, and I fully appreciate the relationship that we have. This is fear. Because the forgiveness is there, I'm aware of my relationship with you. Then verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. Hope. Hope is a beautiful word. It's defined as confident expectation of something that's to come. But it's, it's more, than, more than just that. That seems puny to understand. It's something that you know is going to happen. It's like watching a basketball game on TV and knowing, watching it full. And then watching it again on DVR the next day. Because you know what's coming at the end. You know the score. You watched it happen already. That's hope. I hope in the Lord. In the midst of darkness, of cursed, of obvious and subtle evil, Jesus breaks into our predicament to bring this kind of hope. I know this is going to happen. I've seen this episode before. I know the end. That's hope. I wait for the Lord. In the midst of a cursed and dying, an awful world where stuff like Connecticut happens and where I yell at my children and I love desperately. I wait for the Lord because I know one day his hope is going to come and change me and change this cursed earth. Christmas is here. Verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. That's a Literary device, repetitive. When you see it in Scripture, it's a literary device meant for you to pay attention to what's being said. Watchmen in this age would have been a a city with gates around it. Watchmen would have stood at the top of these gates watching to see if someone were to attack. And the livelihood, the, the health, the life of everyone in that city was dependent upon that watchman being alert and paying attention. If enemies were to come, he would sound the, the alarms, wake the army, and then they would respond and protect the city. If he falls asleep the, or isn't alert or doesn't see what's coming, the city is in jeopardy. It can be taken. It can be killed. It can be destroyed. So this watchman has a really big task, protection of the city, more than watchmen for the morning, longing for the time when I don't have that responsibility anymore watchman's responsibility. Verse 7, O Israel, we can insert people of God. O people of God, hope in the Lord. Trust. Place your confident expectation in God, not on this cursed earth and not in your cursed soul. 
Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. Steadfast love. Love's purpose is to engage you fully, to make your heart completely and utterly happy. To engage your heart with the peace that it was intended to live in. That's the purpose of love. And this is steadfast love. So it, it not only doesn't it change, but it doesn't need to change. To give you all that you hope for, all that you dream for, all that you want. I talk to my kids all the time. What do you want for Christmas? What are you hoping is in those packages under our tree? What are you expecting? What are you longing for? What do you hope to rip open that package and find in that box? This is the expectation that we have. This is the expectation that Christmas brings to us. This is where God has stolen from the consumerism of our world and put that into our minds. That we are hopeful, we are expecting, we do want. And what we want is Jesus to come and save us. This steadfast love, this doesn't change and doesn't need to change to completely engage and enrapture our souls and our hearts. (coughs) The last phrase in verse 7, and with him is plentiful redemption. This idea of of redemption where God is making whole, God is making right, all that was wrong, the curse of the ground, the curse of our souls, the curse of our hearts, Jesus speaking into that. Plentiful redemption. Plentiful. Lots. More than we need. God is coming to bring it. God came to bring it. This is Jesus. This is Christmas. This is Advent. Last, verse 8, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Big way to say he will make right the curse and the evil that's present in our world and in our hearts. He will make it right. That's the last story, the final story, when Jesus comes to make this all right. Ultimately, we have a predicament. In Christmas, Jesus came to bring hope and restoration into our world. Jesus enters into our predicament. But not just that. Jesus, listen, this is, this is Christ wants to speak this to you right now. Listen close. Jesus is entering into your predicament. Don't get lost in the big story. Don't get lost in the Christmas story. Get lost in this. Jesus, hear me, please. Jesus is entering into your predicament, your predicament. What you hope for, what you long for, the evil that's in you, Jesus wants to redeem it all. He wants to enter into your predicament, and here he is, Christmas, reminding us of how he broke into this world on a big, huge, grand scale. But here in a simple, subtle voice, speaking to you, I want to enter into your predicament.
Let's pray. God, we love you. We trust you. God, I pray that you would engage our hearts with this season, Father. Lord, I pray for for those who come to this place this morning with discontent in their hearts, fear, questioning, heartache, anger, curses, obvious and subtle evil. God, I pray for each and every one of us, God, that we would relax and see this baby in a manger breaking into our world, into our predicament. And not just to save the world, but to save us, to redeem us, to restore us, to bring his steadfast love to us. God, I pray for every soul in this room. We would engage that truth this morning, God. Lord, I pray for your direction in our hearts, God, that we would listen and we would respond to you this morning. God, you are beautiful. You are high above us. We rest and we trust in who you are. In Christ's name.